If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet is of utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here is your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone, to Taming the Wild, Doorway to Hell, Part 2. Here we go. Starting to get a little hot in here already. I'm telling you, doorways, doorways, and more doorways. I'm joined in here with my beautiful wife, Kira, as always, and dog trainer extraordinaire, Joshua, Joshua Huffmaster. Anyway, he changed his name yesterday, so don't worry about it. All right. Doorway to Hell. Last week, we talked about prevention. How do you prevent chaos at the door? Because that's what it is. And if anyone is out there listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is chaos every time that doorbell rings. Every time someone wants to drop off a delivery of any sort, it doesn't matter. It is chaos. So therefore, sometimes you go, well, I kind of like the chaos. Uh, I really don't like the person approaching my door. But for the most part, it, it's a problem. And it, and it is proven to be a problem over and over again with both aggression, uh, just people being jumped on by dogs. It, it's just a problem. So how do we get through it? So last week, we talked about prevention, teaching the dog to stay or to do a behavior we call place which is nothing more than a stay on steroids. You simply put the dog on a physical apparatus, like a, a mat that is designated for place or a cot that is designated for place. And that's where they remain until your company either comes in or you accept delivery and they leave. We talked about sit. Make the dog sit when you approach the door. Uh, then we talked a little bit and touched lightly on some intervention. And that is the command off, get off of my guest. But let's go a little bit deeper into that intervention this week. First of all, before we get started, you know, when you have time to reflect, and I'm writing a new book right now, and when you do that, it gives you time to just take everything into perspective, to review everything, because you're trying to write, you're trying to pass a message to your readers. So no stone gets left unturned. And the more I think about it as I begin to write in this book, I'm not sure how good it is or if there's really anything positive about a dog greeting anyone at your door that is not someone the dog is very familiar with like someone of the immediate family who is, arrives there at least a minimum about once per week. I just don't see why we do that. And here's three reasons why. One, your home is the invincible center. As o, Edward O. Wilson wrote in his book on human nature, there is no place on earth that is more vigorously defended than your home, than the wolf denning site, where animals have their offspring, rear them, feed them, take care of them. It's also where your food source is. So our dogs 
again, still sharing that phylogenetic relationship with wolves, are territorial. And for any of you who think, no, they don't have any wolf left in them, then again, why do you have chaos at your door? Why does your dog try to bite the FedEx worker, the UPS worker, the mailman, male woman, Uber Eats driver, bite squad, you name it? Why does your dog want to tear your door down to get at them? Because why? That is an alien wolf. And an alien wolf on your territory always poses as danger, either directly or indirectly. In the wild, that wolf's presence indirectly is danger because it's there to eat your food. And therefore, you now, your covers are bare. Directly, it's competition right there in your face, and it can attack you. So therefore, we now have indirect and direct possible danger. And this is still in our dogs. It's why I write in my book, The Hammer, why dogs attack us and how to prevent it. All of the bite attacks that occurred to UPS workers, to FedEx workers, to postal workers, why there are thousands upon thousands of attacks. And I tell you, we get so many packages delivered that our dog should be familiar with the UPS guy. Should be, but, <laughs> should be, but he still acts the same. Crazier and that and brings crazy. up that brings up a wonderful point. I know a lot of people are out there right now going, "Well, why does my dog want to bite the UPS guy so bad? He walks up and then he leaves. He's never been a threat, and he comes daily or bi daily. You know, well, the dog barks, threat goes away. Dog's going, oh, that works. If he comes closer this time, I'm, I might bite him this time. You know, aggression has worked because I've barked at him and then he's there left. So. Yeah. And the fact that he keeps showing up <laughs> means that whatever tactic I use, what level, level of signal that I used last time obviously wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough. Right. I need yeah. to up the ante. It'd yeah, be like someone builds, coming into your yard and camping yeah. out and you say, hey, buddy, uh, can you go pitch your tent somewhere else? My, I just kind of fertilized my grass here, springtime, and everything's starting to look good. And they say yes, and they pack up and leave. Next morning, you come out of your house, there they are again, but now they have two tents. Yep. So I guarantee you, you're going to raise the, the signal a little bit like nature demands. You're going to say, okay, excuse me, I could have sworn I asked you yesterday. All right, third day, so on and so forth, you start to escalate. Next thing you know, you're burning down his tent and you're, <laughs> you're running him off with the, the fertilizer machine that you just bought or the blower. Uh, and again, if dogs aren't territorial, why do dogs? We talked about that when selecting a new dog for your household. Meeting at a park, meeting at a territory that is not the dog's territory will garner you results that will not be mirrored in most cases once that unfamiliar dog is invited to the territory of your dog. But even inside that territory is the home itself. And that is the invincible center. A wolf caught traipsing across a territory will be chased off. They will try to kill it if they catch it. The, the uh, resident wolves of that territory. But however, that same wolf is caught anywhere near the denning site. It's not enough to kill it. They'll eviscerate it. You can call in CSI all you want and you will not get a DNA sample. They will make that thing disappear from the planet Earth. So that's one reason. Your home, guys, think of it. It is the invincible center. This is where this animal may not have offspring, but it is certainly where the food is maintained. It is where the shelter is maintained. 
And a lot of dogs look at your their relationship with you differently all the time. Sometimes they do feel like, wow, uh, I'm in control here, which means by default, kind of need to protect everyone here. Yeah, just think about it. It's the invincible center. Another sec- reason, the second reason, when your dog is at the door, think of it like these old, uh, I don't even know if they have them out anymore, but when I was a kid, they had the little jack-in-the-box. Boom, lid pops open, some little clown little thing pops out. And you jump about three feet in the air. Well, when the door opens, if the dog can't see out the door, then there you go. Surprise. What's behind door number one? What's behind door number two? Would it be the devil? Would it be a foe? Would it be a friend? Well, there's a split second. I'm talking so fast for aggression to be effective. It has to be swift. So how much time do you think your dog's going to get when you open that door and there's some guy six foot three standing right there? That person is right now, right then in the dog's critical zone. And only two actions occur in the critical zone, flight or fight. It all determines upon the atomic second that happened before that atomic second when the dog very quickly ran that six foot three man through an IFF, identification, friend or foe. And how accurate they're able to do that depends upon how many six foot three men they've met in their lives, how many other humans they've met. And it's, so, it's, I think it's safe to say that they will always err on the side of caution. They're not going to go, ah, they're probably okay. Could be a friend. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they're not sure, they go, they go the route of, of foe. That's what I do. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, when people show up my door and I don't know who they are, oh, yeah, that's happened. Karen and I have asked, uh, do you, are you expecting someone? Yeah. That someone? That someone looks a little shady. <laughs> Give me a second. I've got the loaded 45 upstairs, <laughs> and I got the 55-pound cattle dog. <laughs> so He's really scary. Yeah, look at us. We're, we're no different. There's a lot of similarities between the two because we're mammals. We're mammals with offspring. We're social creatures, and we, we, we defend our territory. In fact, there are no rights that you have greater than those afforded to you in your house. And then lastly, the arousal level. And that goes hand in hand with the identification of a friend or foe. When your dog has basically three emotional states, and we've talked about this before, but to go over real quickly, the calm zone, the arousal zone, and the red zone. The red zone is fight or flight. If your dog approaches that red zone, is even close to it, at that point, they are typically immune to any sort of input from you. You are a distant, misty fog in the back. They're dealing with this thing right here in front of them right now. And that doesn't always have to be a scary situation. It can simply be, I am so excited. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Every time the door is open. Yeah, we see that with Captain. Yeah, every time the door opens, it is a friend. And they are vending machines. They like to give me petting. They like to give me treats. It's like Santa Claus coming to your house every single time. And you're just this crazy little kid. Uh, whenever the, a mammal, whether it be a human mammal or a dog mammal, the higher up that arousal column you travel in an excited state, fearful state, you become more and more immune to all the outside input. You're literally living here and now. 
dealing with this. We even see it here. We train dogs. We do a darn good job at it. However, what is the question mark that we always have from our board and train programs? The family. The family. The family. There you go. We train dogs to lay down, to stay, you name it, to sit at doorways around 50 million strangers, 50 million strange dogs, every distraction, distraction you can think of known to mankind. And there's always a question mark. What's going to happen when Fido sees their parents or owners after a two, three week absence? And sometimes it is, oh, hey, guys, how you doing? But most times, not usually they're gone. They lose their minds. They lose their minds. And you would think we did nothing with that dog Mm -hmm. during that time period. It is only after they drop down, come down, 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 down. Okay, I've been here. I saw you. I was excited. Now I'm getting a little tired. And and you kind of get to be old news. And now what are we doing? It's amazing, guys. So we, we see that even in training. So how the heck do you think you're going to get this thing done all the time when you go to your door? This is another one of those initial success or total failure scenarios. Why do it? Jeff Cazell, when he wrote, pick battles big enough to matter, but small enough to win. I really want you to think about that. How, it, how important is it in the grand scheme of owning your dog? How worth it is it for you to take your dog to the door with you to answer it? Now, if you've got a big dog as a protection dog or whatever, I do get that. But as soon as you open that door, you make sure before you do, you have enough control of your dog that your dog will not be able to act out on any sort of natural impulse. And they don't have to go all the way to the door. I love taking Captain to the door with me, but he doesn't have to go all the way. He Amen. That's where one of those, hey, yeah. sit or lay down about six feet back. A dog can cover six feet in less than one second. Now, I'm guaranteeing you, I was a police canine officer. My dog was the fastest dog at the OK Corral. I'm telling you, no human could draw a weapon faster than my dog was on. They are lightning fast. So again, like good point care, you don't have to take your dog all the way to the door. Because again, as soon as that door opens, you may be expecting the air conditioning man, but your dog doesn't see an air conditioning man. And also ask yourself, how many times throughout the year do you need your dog at the door? So you're going to want to train the dog where you need the dog the majority of the time. Default is calm behavior. And then just like you've taught your cattle dog that uh, the majority of the time you don't jump on me, but every once in a while, here you go, buddy, jump up into my arms. You've okayed that when given permission. Same thing, the natural, I say the default is go to your place when somebody's at the door. But if I tell you otherwise, then you can come to the door with me. I would err on the side of, where the dog should be in the majority of the time. Yeah. But even if you take them to the door, have them under control. When I open this door, you still remain in that sit. If I'm attacked, you are more than welcome to get up out of that sit and come to my (laughs) aid. There will be no problem with that. There'll be a lot of rewards afterwards. I will really appreciate that. But however, if I'm simply reaching to take a package and that other person is reaching in my direction, that animal could easily interpret that 
as a hostile gesture and act out on it. So guys, I really want you to think about it. You can, part of intervention is a healthy dose of prevention. And another way to prevent this whole thing is desensitize the dog somewhat to the door. You kind of need to get to a, well, been there, done that. You need to tell the story about the the, what was the doorbell, the fake doorbell that you got for that one client? Oh, yeah. I was, this was a long time ago. I had a private client, uh, newly married, and the husband approached me and says, my new wife has seven Yorkies. Okay, so we can call <laughs> in the question right there. Why do you have seven Yorkies yet? You don't have an active breeding program, at least not one on purpose. Maybe that was the problem. It wasn't on purpose, but it just happened. Either way, she has seven Yorkies. When the doorbell rang at that home, that was it. You, you would rather just put a gun in your mouth right then and there because the sound was so incredible, so piercing. It hurt your heart. It was difficult to breathe. So, of course, I got it when he says, okay, you got either A, fix the dogs, B, fix my wife, <laughs> or C, I'm out of here. So, I'm like, well, how bad do you want C? <laughs> Uh, but after that, I, I went on to work with the Yorkies. And the way we did it was, yeah, we purchased for her a fake doorbell. And I said, ma'am, I want you to ring that thing about 100 times a day. And sure enough, after about three days, when the doorbell rang, no one made a peep. No one made a peep. And, you know, and so you can do that and you can go into teaching quiet then. And that's what we proceed on because, hey, I kind of like them letting me know there is someone at the door. I could be vacuuming. I could be upstairs doing something. I get that. I get that. However, let me do the IFF. And when I identify friend, not foe, thank you for letting me know they're here, but you can turn the alarm system off. Thank you very much. And these are just all things that have to go into hand with intervention. But when all of that fails, okay, so your dog didn't sit, your dog didn't hold the stay, didn't hold the place, you did not practice this enough to keep the dog at the midway level of the arousal column, uh, you did not have enough people come over, not enough doorbells ringing, you've done all of this, or you insist on taking your dog to the door, then what happens when that fails? What happens when there's not a leash on the dog and the dog bolts out the door, probably running right through the person first, and then they're on their way. Or when you open the door to grab the package that the UPS guy just laid down, he's walking back to his truck, the dog's after him. Oh, oh yes. yes. That's that is That's a oh, common, common yes. thing. Well, think about the dog who's been, hey, here comes a delivery person, rah, rah, rah. They leave. The dog looks over their shoulder at you and goes, thank you very little. You can just stay over there relaxed. I took care of this issue. I scared it off. Well, a year goes by. The thing keeps showing up. Now this dog's hitting this door like a freight train. Boom, boom, boom. And it's still, it shows up. One day, the door's open. It will Whether, happen. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. yeah, when dogs... Uh, Murphy's Law. <laughs> yeah, when I interviewed these delivery people for my book in... Over 85% of the cases, it was the first dog bite that, or the first bite that dog had committed. It was them. Absolutely. The dog had been trying to do it for a long time and finally got the opportunity. And when that occurred, 
good luck with training. You have better practice this thing inside and out for weeks, if not months prior. Okay, guys, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to get busy talking about what happens if everything fails you. We're going to go over some passive prevention, active prevention, and then the greatest intervention of all time. Hey, call your dog back to you. So when it's racing to that delivery man, say, come, have that dog stop on the dime, return back to you, and that you will be on that delivery person's Christmas list <laughs> for the rest of your life, guaranteed. So we'll talk about that when we come back. So sit, stay, we'll be back in a few. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email if you prefer to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now back to the show. All right, guys, welcome back. I don't know where you are, but uh, we hope to keep going before I have to start stroking here, start paddling. (laughs) It is flat pouring down rain in our parts of the world here. Okay, so back to doorway to hell. Uh, Two types of prevention as well. We talked about the sit, of course, the down. That's called active prevention. There's another one that I'd like to use, and it's simply don't ever go through a door until you're released to go through a door. 
That is wonderful. And it's a command that we call wait. And I just use it this morning. I brought both of our dogs to our daycare. And the other one, the old one is kind of, uh, well, we have to do daycare. So no big deal with him getting out of the back of the car. But my young Siberian Husky puppy, Takani, oh, he loves daycare. So, of course, what I do, I open up my back door and I say, wait. And wait means this. Don't follow me any further. Don't you dare follow me any further. It's different than stay because if I'm at my house and I want to go outside, I say, wait. And they stop right there at the threshold of the door. And then I shut the door in her face because I'm going to be outside. You're not. I have something to do. Well, if I said stay, where are they supposed to be when I come back? That same spot. Same spot. But they learn from wait through their own self-discovery that when they heard that and they did not proceed out the door, the door was shut and they got to go about their business. So I love the command wait. And here's the neat thing about it. Just the other day, again, we had this young puppy. He's about 10 months old now. I opened up the door to go outside. I didn't say wait because I didn't realize he was behind me. And all of a sudden, I look over my shoulder, and there's a dog sitting at the door. That's way cool. That means that, hey, you have a light bulb starting to hum, starting to brighten inside the dog's head. So that's really cool. And that is a well-trained uh, type behavior that you're just going to use often and often. What, can we just go ahead and roll what it looks like up here? Those of you joining us live, we're going to kind of roll it up here on our screen. And it's just a behavior, again, that we call wait. Don't follow me any further. And this can be practiced in any doorway. And simply what you do is you approach a door, you make your dog sit, and you say, wait. And you step through the door. The dog's not allowed to go with you until released. And how's the dog released? You can say something like free, okay, heal, whatever. And now the dog is guided outside. So, guys, there's a lot of ways to practice this. I would definitely practice it on the external doors of your home because that's where the most arousal is going to be, whether you're releasing the dog into your backyard to play or you're going out the front door. But I, I like to use weight in the car, too. Amen. Well, Everywhere. The, anywhere there's out. a door. Yeah. Anywhere there's a door and your dog's excited to go out that door. That command can be used. You can practice it all through the house. You walk up to the bathroom. Wait. Step inside. Shut the door. Do this, guys, over and over again. And next thing you know, even if the door is open, you'll just see a dog sitting there because I've been trained not to go through that door. And once the dog habituates to that, then that's just what they'll do. Mm -hmm. They'll just sit there. They'll probably ask themselves, why am I sitting here? But that's the <laughs> reason why is because they were trained to do that. So I love wait. Wait. Again, different than stay. Simply don't follow me any further. Then another passive prevention you can have, of course, is either a fence in your front yard, a physical fence. Now, that won't do you any good if the delivery person came through the gate, is now approaching your front porch. But at least they'll keep your dog from running off and getting hit by a car or being a nuisance to the neighbors. Uh, there's also the invisible fences or the electronic fences. Now, those things have evolved a long ways. Um, I used to own a franchise with those things back in the middle of the 1990s. But nowadays, you can set a sensor right by the door. And as a dog approaches the door, we're in a special collar, it'll give it a warning. And if they proceed on, then boom, it'll give the dog a correction. 
and you can set the setting as to high, how high the correction needs to be. And, and it's always the dog that determines that. I've had some dogs that can walk through that thing at the highest level and just blink their eyes. Remember Lily? I'll never forget Lily. Yeah. Never. She was the sweetest yellow lab with the biggest eyelashes. And she would walk through the, that underground electronic containment system like it's nothing. So, of course, I'm looking at her thinking, oh, it's not working. It's not working. So I grabbed a collar and I said, I'll just go ahead and take one for the team. And boy, did you. <laughs> well, I found out how well the thing was built because when I went through that system, my body, like as a reflex, just chucked the thing about 200 yards. Uh, but it does work and you can set some of these by your door. You can use them to prevent dogs, for example, from going into the kitchen, into the child's room, so on and so forth. That's another nice passive prevention. In case the toddler opens the door, you weren't expecting it, it will keep Fido from running out your door. Okay, but again, let's say the collar wasn't on the dog or the batteries were dead and you didn't put up a physical fence and you haven't worked on the command weight and your sit fails you or your stay fails you or your place fails you and there goes your dog out the door. And on a worst case scenario, your dog is headed at a target. Maybe it's the lady walking by with the baby stroller. Maybe it's someone walking their dog. Maybe it's the delivery person, or maybe they just want to go visit the girl dog that lives in the next county. Doesn't matter. At that moment, you're going to need to fall upon the greatest intervention tool for that purpose ever devised by mankind, the command, come, come. And I'm not talking this come, where here, I've got a dog biscuit. Yeah, you can give them a dog biscuit when they come back, but they need to be trained to come biscuit or no biscuit, period. They need to come. Now, as far as training come to your dog, from a technical aspect, it's not difficult at all. There's no rocket science behind it. It really isn't. And you're about to find that out because it's only going to take me about 10 minutes just to cover it. It's not difficult from a technical aspect. So, go ahead and fold up your college diplomas and all your Wikipedia stuff and Google, you don't need it. What you do need to do is roll up your sleeves and get busy. Get busy making it happen. It's not difficult from a technical aspect. It's difficult from an application aspect. And it's only because most people are too lazy to do the work. So if that's you, the shoe fits, wear it. Get out of that darn shoe and get on another pair of boots out here called training boots and get this thing done. Because I'm telling you, I just had to meet with a client last week whose dog was euthanized by court order. Guys, remember, this decision can be taken out of your hand. And it doesn't end there. Now this client is facing multiple lawsuits that are taken into account compensatory damages mm-hmm. and punitive damages, all because her dog bolted and immediately had a target and attacked that target because why? They were two feet off of the property lines. And I've mentioned this before, dogs don't have a deed. They don't carry one around with them strapped to their hip. As far as they go, if you've been walking them and they got to pee on this and pee on that and pee on this pole and pee on that hydrant, pee on that tree, 
They own it. Flat out. Why own a 7-Eleven when you can own a super Walmart? Period. So same thing goes for dogs. They will simply just go and defend that territory. So on the command come, the not only do you have to work it, but you also always with all training that you do, all training, I don't care what it is you're teaching, always take into account, how can I gain the animal's attention? What can I use to motivate it? And lastly, and very importantly, cognition. Is my dog old enough to grasp this concept? Is it old enough? Does it have the ability? Have I even done any basic coming call? Things of that sort, long before you achieve that off-leash. So it's, it's just work. And then, like with anything that's, that's worth getting, worth having in life, you have to work for it. But there's one other factor that comes into play. Of all the behaviors that you wish to train your dog to do, this one, this one has no intrinsic well to dip into. It's dry. Welcome to a dog whose ancestor, again, the wolf, whose ancestor, the wolf. Out in that world, it's a silent world. It's hunt or be hunted. And both parties, whether it's the ones being hunted or the ones doing the hunting, stay silent. They don't want to announce their presence. If I announce my presence, then the thing I'm hunting hears me. Instead of staying one kilometer away, it is now 20 kilometers away. Now I have to expend more energy to get more energy. So therefore, it's why wolves and all social predators developed a very elaborate means of communication that is silent. So therefore, if wolf A sees wolf B about 50 feet away, he doesn't say, hey, B, get on over here. I need to talk to you. Come. Instead, wolf A approaches B to get close enough to A to be able to send a signal that wolf B can interpret because why? Remember from our episode, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Signals are there for the intent of influencing behavior. Not starting a conversation. B, I need you to do something. And A, learned something else a long time ago as well. The closer I am to B, the more influence I have on B's behavior. So again, you hear all these comedians talk about if you're waiting back of the line and you're, you're angry at the person that's 70 people in front of you, you start talking loudly, but the closer you get to them, you whisper. <laughs> yeah, it happens, man. It happens. Okay, so you kind of don't have any help from nature with this. This is a very foreign concept. It goes totally against the grain. Your dog is out exploring the world. It doesn't realize you're going to be this lifelong benefactor and provide all this shelter and food and everything. It's out there preparing the way mammals are supposed to to live without you. Yeah, that's what they do. Wolves grow up, they move. Lions grow up, dad makes them move. Orcas grow up, they move. Humans grow up, they stay home. <laughs> <laughs> they used to move, now they want to stay home. But they're supposed to move. You're supposed to go out and prepare to live on your own. Okay, so how do we train it? How do we train come when called? All right, let's just go down the steps. They're pretty simple. You're going to be amazed. First of all, we have to have a signal. 
So we say the command, come. Now, I recommend in this situation that you compound it. So Fido, come. Rover, come. In other words, use the dog's name right before the command, come. But if you do this consistently, this becomes known as a compound signal. And here's the beautiful thing about a compound signal. They become either ors. So over a period of time, about six months of training, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, depending upon the age of your dog, cognition, so on and so forth. Your dog bolts out the door. It's now dead smack in the middle of the road. There's a car bearing down on it. And do you go, huh, I'm cool, calm, and collected. Come. No. You clear your throat. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Come. No. You go, oh, my God. Rover, Rover, Rover. And, you know, it's probably about 40 octaves higher than mm-hmm. what it was when you practice it. Yeah, you don't get out. Come. And if you do, it's after 19 rovers. Mm-hmm. Then you get it out. So, therefore, you now get to reap what you sowed. Because the dog has responded to Rover right before come, therefore, now the dog starts to come back to you. Uh, do know this just from a little trainer's tip. If that only works, that compounding of signals only work if they're associated with one response. So, therefore, I would not advise that you say Rover come and then additionally add Rover sit. Rover heel, Rover down, Rover stay. Now, Rover, instead of being the influencing signal that it is, it's nothing more than a predictor. It's more like an attention getter. You have worn the thing down. It's kind of like the doorbells in the Yorkies. It just doesn't mean anything to me. Okay, uh, anytime you give your dog a signal, here's the rules. You have to not only keep that consistent, so it's Rover come, but it's your job, and here's where you got to roll up the sleeves, people, pure and simple. You have to always make sure only one response occurs. Also make sure that if your dog already has an association with its name Rover, I know I'm going to point up some fingers at some clients here for a second. Some people use the dog's name as a punishment. So you may have to do more repetitions with Rover now means get your butt over to me because right now Rover actually might influence the dog to actually run away from you. Go the other direction, yeah. So there's a lot of conditioning that you have to do with the association of what Rover actually means. And if you have an older dog and you've already used Rover in a context somewhere the dog's kind of picked up what that means, you may have to do a little bit of rework or come up with a different type of, of nickname. Maybe use the nickname that you use, uh, the endearing nickname. Um, yeah. there's You're really given flexibility in that. Right. Um, one time I trained a dog using the silliest commands you could ever come up with. I just made them up words like scuba nog. Mm-hmm. I trained another dog to do everything from military commands. I say parade, rest, and the dog would lay down. I say attend, hut, and it would sit. I say forward, march, and it would heal. There's Guys, you can do whatever you want. Just do it consistently. And more importantly, make sure that when you give that signal, whether it's an arm waving towards your body, you say, come, I don't care. You make come happen, meaning you must be in a position to make it happen Uh, every single time. Again, I have to practice what I preach. Karen, I practice it all the time. We have our young dog. And what do we have to do? He's on a long line. Right now, he's on a long line. So when I call him, I can make him come every single time. 
every single time. Guys, that takes a little bit of work. I don't leave the long line on him when I'm not home and I can't supervise him for safety reasons. But by golly, when I'm home, he's got a 10-foot line on inside, 20-foot, 30, 40, 50, whatever, outside. Because why? I'm not going to ever say to Connie, come and not be in a position to make it happen. Because otherwise, now, every time I do that, I give the animal to learn, the ability to learn that there are conditions and they will recognize them. Trust me, they will recognize them. That I can respond differently. And where we're trying to go with this whole thing is called a fixed action pattern. And that's where our other dogs are. That's where Captain is. If Captain saw you, the listener, or heard you as the listener, call your dog and your dog not respond to you, he would turn and ask me if he could talk and go, you can do that. I didn't know you could do that. Is that an option? He can't help but come. That's where you have to go. That's where the work comes in. And guys, that is thousands of repetition. It just takes a lot of discipline. It's not, yeah. it's not difficult work. It's just discipline. Know that when you call your dog, you have to get up and make sure you know where the end of that long line is. Yeah, you do. You just have to have that kind of discipline to do diligence that this command requires more than any other command. Of course, it's not going to be easy. If I told you it was going to be easy, I'm lying. And we don't lie on this show. <laughs> Again, we told you this is a no BS show. We just give it to you the truth. Don't let any book tell you train your dog to come when call within seven days. Crap. Oh, okay. BS. Yeah. Uh, send it to me. I'll call them out right on the show. Maybe in your backyard with a privacy fence and nothing else in the yard. Maybe, yeah, sure, seven days. Yeah. And you can't use all positive. Again, we, we say this all the time. First of all, it doesn't exist. Number two, here's the deal. You say come, you hold treat. Maybe the dog comes. Yeah, it does. It wants to treat. Are you really, really, you own a dog. Do you not have enough sense to ask yourself this? Well, what if my dog doesn't want the treat. Is my dog going to want the treat every single time I offer a treat? Do you want that treat every single time someone offers you that treat? Is there nothing greater in life? Is life so dull on the planet Earth that dog biscuits and dog treats rule? Is it that way? What kind of bottomless, pit, mindless animal do you perceive your dog yeah. to be? <laughs> so here's what happens. You say come and dog does because it wants a treat. But the next time you say come, Dog does R2. Instead of response one coming, they do response two. They go away. Why? Something trumped your treat. It could be anything. And then so you go, well, let me try it a third time. So a third time I call the dog, I get response zero. The dog just looks at me like I'm stupid. Now what you have effectively done is basically giving your dog a multiple choice test in which I'm going to ask the same question, but there are three separate answers that are all correct for you, dog. And the dog will simply assign the benefit. Which benefit suits me now? Is it the treat? Is it the coming inside the house because it's hot out here? Or is it the squirrel? Or is it the dog across the street? Or the UPS man that's walking up in our driveway? Which one will I respond to? It will be the one your dog assigns the benefit to. That's why you have to step in and add a cost. You have to say, I love you, and I love you enough 
to not allow you to go harm another human being, because I, I love that human as well. And I'm not going to let you harm them. And I'm not going to let some court then step in and destroy my life and that of my families, destroy everything I've worked for and kill you. I love you enough to say, I will make you come. And you do. And like anything, you start easy. Towards the animal goes, okay, what the heck was that? And you suddenly say, well, no, you do have to come. How many times have I had to drag the Connie over? Oh, I think today. Yeah, today. He wanted to go to the car. Yes. He knew it was daycare. He saw me grab my car keys. He knew it. Oh, boy, we're going to daycare. And I wasn't going to go to daycare right then. So, again, on the long line, come. No, I'm going to the garage because that's where the car is that takes me to daycare. <laughs> and it was like, no. You are coming. <laughs> you are coming. And that's exactly what happened. He went from point A to point B to me. And bingo, there's a great reward. I think sometimes, too, our clients may be fooled a little bit by a fear period that the puppies go through when they're pretty young. They think that the dog is going to come to them, that they've learned come, but it's really more that the dog doesn't want to venture too far away. So they're kind of hanging out by the, the, uh, the owner, the, the, the safe place. Absolutely. You're absolutely uh, correct. In which, you know, dogs have three fear periods. And nature put those in there because she said, hey, it's kind of like a child. We talk about this with toddlers. It's called a secure base attachment. Secure base. I'm attached to it. Nature put it there because she said, hey, young child, young offspring, wolf cub or dog pup, should you wander too far away, you're no longer have a secure base. You have an unsecure base. And this is where other predators come in and say, man, I'm really hungry for a dog pup right now. Or again, in our world, the automobiles, the strange people, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So you're right. They get fooled because mm -hmm. the animal does come. It does come because it's afraid to not come. It's afraid to wander too far away. But then look at the mammals. They all grow up. Yeah, look they at, develop. Yeah. Look at our, our daughters. I mean, there's a time that they're clinging to us. They won't leave us. And then suddenly, like overnight, can you drop me off in the back parking lot of the mall? <laughs> I don't even want to be seen with you and, and all my friends. Yeah, welcome to independence. Welcome to a maturing mammal. The, the man, there's a man that walks his dog um, by my house every single day. And this dog, I mean, it's been going on for about two weeks now and it can't be any older than 10 weeks. And he walks his little puppy from our house to the gas station, which is maybe like a block or two. And this puppy's not on leash. Now I'm not, I'm not saying that that's okay. And anyway, shape or form. Mm -hmm. However, that puppy follows him everywhere he goes because that puppy sees him as survival. I don't stray away. And so a lot of people see what I see every single day and they go, oh, that's a really well-trained dog. It's, it's not just a, a fearful puppy that wants to survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cling, cling, cling. Okay. So we talked about that. Let's just go through a step-by-step -step process. All right. An essential tool, a collar or harness, whatever you want to use at this point, I really don't care. It's got to be something that you will not come off your dog should they just struggle and say, I'm going to the car that takes me to daycare. Then you have to attach it to a long line to start with. And I would have a multitude of these. I wouldn't just have one. One size does not fit all. So you got the short one maybe inside the house, eight footer to 10 footer, and then all the way up to a dang 100 feet if you need to outdoors. You call the dog, Fido, come. 
And you say that way, Fido, come. Notice in my voice, the outcome is not in doubt. So we don't go, Fido, will you come? Fido, come. Come, Fido, come. No, there's called commands for a reason. Fido, come. You say it that way and you mean it that way. And that's why I want you to say it that way because you mean it when you say it like that. Then you reel your dog in. And when it gets there, it gets a great reward. And I do mean a great reward. I've been known to save, like with Captain, what did he love more than anything in the world? The ball. The ball. So guess when Captain got the ball and only when Captain ever got a ball while he was going through his training after he came came when called. Therefore, so have that spatial treat and then start to work your dog on a variety of conditions. Know this, a dog will not be reliable in its response to any command until it's been proofed through that condition, trained exactly through that condition. You have to be that deliberate in filtering everything. This is why we call ourselves balanced dog trainers, because there's a balance of reward and discipline. So when you start filtering those things and the dog goes, oh, I know those, but the treat at home is so much better because there's nothing else going on at home. But then we go to the park and, but there's so much stuff going on. The treat, I mean, I just had breakfast. I don't really need that treat. I'm going to go chase this. By applying a really tasty reward for coming back to you, I mean like a really tasty, don't just use your basic dog training treat. Go get some like human grade food. hot dogs. Hot dogs, chicken, (laughs) something like that. But when the dog comes to you, that's what they get. But when they don't come to you, also have a special consequence for not coming to you. And this is why, this is how we get the dog to have, there's every reason in the world to come back to us. And there's not a single reason in the world why you wouldn't come back to us. Yes, absolutely. You just take that out of the equation. That's just not even going to happen. So me, when I train a dog to come and call, like I'm doing right now, I call my dog, I reel them in. I call my dog, I reel them in over and over and over again. Special reward. I act like every single time the dog comes, it's the greatest achievement that dog could ever make. Don't fake it. Dogs know when you fake it. Be happy. Mm -hmm. Think ahead. Think about what's about to occur. Have you ever seen dogs run free that will reliably come back to their owners? Have you ever seen that kind of joy? Have you ever seen that kind of joy on, on their, their owners? It's incredible. Yeah, it's wonderful. Guys, keep moving. So you do this over and over, probably 500, 1,000, 1,500 times. And you're thinking, how long will that take? Well, depends on the dog, probably a few months. Yeah. But so what? Keep at it. Most dogs lived well over a decade. Put in the effort. Now reap what you sow for many years to come. And you keep doing this. But at some point, and, you know, and the whole goal, again, is to arrive at a fixed action pattern. Fixed action. Meaning you say come and a, like a biological reflex to a given stimulus, they immediately turn and come in your direction. But at some point, these are very savvy animals. They're very temporal. They know their world. And they do start to forget about the long line. I've had dogs, first time they saw them, they're walking, they look over their shoulder and go, uh, Brian, there's, there's something following me back here. They even step funny. They yeah, like they step, step funny. Over, they, they form like the letter C with their body. Yeah. But <laughs> needless to say, they, they do eventually get over. But at some point, you have to become untethered. But you still have to have the ability to touch them. 
And guys, next week, we're going to be spending the entire hour talking about remote training callers. Now, again, you've probably heard them called shock callers. But next week, we will reveal the shocking truth behind remote training callers. And just let me kind of preface it with this. I wouldn't even think of owning a dog without one. That's how good they are. And when I train service dogs for children with muscular dystrophy, and I train hundreds, that's exactly what we had to use. Mm -hmm. Those children can no more give a dog a leash correction to save their life. Absolutely. So stay, make, definitely come back next week and listen to that episode. But for those that are alive, go ahead and just roll that little video. And in this video, Joshua has his own dog, uh, Vesper, a Malinois, and he's going to call the dog to him in this video. And the neat thing is that you'll see the dog come when called. And when it does, again, using a remote caller, you see the joy on the animal. It's joy. Have you ever seen a hunting dog? Look at the joy. Look at the joy they have. It's not a torture device, but it is a very essential tool if you want to achieve a reliable come when called. And look at that face. Look how happy she is. She's a happy dog. She is. Okay. Now, real quick before we wrap up the show, some special rules. Now, we'll cover that remote caller next week all the way through it. But a couple special rules associated with training your dog to come. One, never assume your dog will come. Guys, you keep doing this thing over and over again. If you haven't done it for a couple of months, you haven't done it long enough unless you're a pro. And then pros, when dogs, for example, come here, we do it hundreds of times per day. Uh, Two, never call your dog to a bad thing. Never. Meaning, for example, let's say your dog hates going in the crate if you use a crate. Don't stand next to an open door crate and call your dog and then shove it in there. If your dog hates riding in a car, don't stand next to an open car door and call your dog. If you must do these things, call your dog away from those. Reward your dog handsomely. Then take your dog to the crate or the car. By pl- applying this time lag, it will be impossible for your dog to associate the act of coming to you when called with the end result of being placed in the crate or the car. You just have to give about a good 10 to 15 second time lag in between the two. Now, of course, if every time you called your dog and you did it 10,000 times, the end result was to create, whether it was 15 seconds or not, even a dog would eventually put that together. But you guys are going to do that. And then make sure that you have that special reward. And then lastly, if you want a fancy looking come, you want the dog who comes and sits directly in front of you or does what we call a flip turn or military finish, where it comes by your side, turns around, and it stands or sits right there in the proper heel position. Man, that looks sweet. But here's the big rule. Teach that outside of come. Go teach to finish. Go teach to sit. You go teach that somewhere else. You do that by itself. The dog becomes proficient at that by itself. Even your dog in the video for the door. We taught sit first. Mm. Then we taught going through doors. So once the dog has been taught that separately, you simply attach it to the come. So now all of a sudden the C block come plus the S block sit equals a block CS come and sit. And that's really it, guys. It's not any harder 
than that. And we'll cover a few more advanced steps on Common Call next week when we talk about the remote training caller, the tool, the tool that will lead you to that dog who will instantly come when called and do it with joy on their face. So we've got a little bit more about come to teach next week. So join us then. And until then, looks like the rain has stopped here. Looks like we're not going to float away. You guys have a great week and we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild in Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.